field operative of that secret empire, a fixer, an enabler, a solver of problems, occasionally an executioner, always an ambassador, not of goodwill, nor of bad. He was the proxy for the will of the queen. He was her Metatron, speaking for her so that she could remain apart, aloof, and shadowed, safe. Yuki stood on the balcony, shivering in a hot wind. Cold from within, she pulled the folds of her silk robe around her slender body, discovering no warmth within it. "'Yuki!' he called from inside. When she didn't answer, she heard the soft rustle of his body as he slid across the bed, and then the nearly silent pad of his bare feet on the hardwood floor. She didn't turn as Martin came out onto the balcony. At first he sought to wrap his heavy arm around her shoulders, but when he found no reaction, Martin withdrew his touch. That was his way, never impolite, never intrusive. Not since that first day. He moved a few feet away and leaned his forearms on the rail, his brown skin painted gold by the firelight. He wore only black boxers and a single ruby teardrop earring. There were scars on his big arms and back and chest that he would never explain beyond saying, Life is life. Life is life. Such a strange, vague way to explain a life clearly lived in the Stormlands. Yuki had her own scars now. Some branded into her flesh from splinters as bullets had chewed apart a room in which she nearly died. A hospital room where patient zero of the vampire plague, Michael Fane, had begun a rampage of slaughter. Yuki wore the reminders of her mortality on her skin. Every time she stood naked in front of a mirror, that lesson was reinforced. And there were other scars, too, each one marking a different day, a distinct event of the V-Wars. She told Martin about some of them. Others she did not. Scars can be a deeply personal thing, like insights gained in meditation. It wasn't required to explain them or proselytize because of them. Martin understood that about her, and she about him, just as she knew and respected the secrets he kept. Now they stood apart but together on her balcony, watching how the smoke from dozens of fires lit the midnight sky over Manhattan. Towers of smoke rose toward the great pall that hung over the city, and it was like looking at the pillars supporting the smoky ceiling of hell itself. The knobbed columns and rippling roof reflected the fires in hues of Halloween orange and chimney red, and the soundtrack was the constant whine of sirens as firefighters raced from place to place, all the while knowing that the demons of flame owned the night. "'You want to be out there,' murmured Martin." Don't you? She shrugged, said nothing. If you want to go, Yuki, I can get you a car, some people, protection, whatever you need. Still nothing. He straightened and turned to face her, leaning a hip against the rail. She glanced at him. Why are you making that face? she asked. You're crying. Yuki touched her cheek, then studied her fingertips, surprised to see them glisten. She rubbed them dry on her sleeve. "'How many people do you think died tonight?' she asked. "'No, 
Tell me how many you think will be dead by morning, by the time this is over. Martin sighed. What does the tally matter? She almost wheeled on him, almost snarled. Instead, she fought to keep her words from launching at him like knives. Because they're dying, damn it, it's wrong, it's fucking insane. He smiled, a faint, small thing. You miss my point, love. Don't mistake my question for indifference. Then what was it? Martin ticked his head toward the burning city. Ever since this war started, the whole world's gone nuts. Everyone on both sides. There hasn't been one battle that's ended in what any sane person could call a victory. People are dying on both sides, and people are dying when they're caught between those sides. Bloods and beats, soldiers and guerrillas.